Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products. And if you're one of our Aussie listeners, then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade in their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left. And their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout. That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Hey guys, I want to tell you about something I connected with recently. It's got me bouncing out of bed and thinking bigger for the future in these challenging times. It's called Real Movement, and we've had the founder on here, Keegan Smith. To cut to the chase, the program helps everyday people like me and you become leaders and realise more of their potential. The standards of strength, income and impact are high in the community, but everyone works together and accepts that everyone is on their own journey. Use the code STAG for $25 off your first month. It's not a contract, and it might just change your life, like it has for hundreds of people around the world. Join today and message me from inside the exclusive members portal. Kia ora and welcome to episode 150. Heck yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for everyone that's come along the journey so far and yeah, contributed, been a part, been guests, been reaching out on the socials. It's awesome to hear from people and yeah, wicked. This episode's another cracker. It's with Gareth Hughes. The man behind Victory Knives right now, he's um, done some awesome work of late in promoting what is a quality New Zealand brand, one that's got an extensive history and we dive into some of that in the podcast. Um, You might have heard Gareth a few weeks back prior COVID on The Educated Hunter, he did a wicked job of describing some of the products he got and um, yeah, we just sit down and have a really good chat about what's going on a little bit on the Tarmageddon 2.3.0, whatever you want to call it. Um, This was recorded last week just after it came out about Forest and Bird taking Dr. Court prior to the the control plan that was submitted to uh, the liaison group. So early doors on on all that information. A lot's happened in a week. But yeah, um, Gareth had been on a a hunt down in, in Diggleburn. What a spot amazing part of the country and yeah there's plenty to go into in this episode so if you enjoy it make sure you reach out to gareth let him know that you you heard him on the podcast you know reach him out and give him a give him a a, a shout out and, and and say you heard him and i'd love to hear what you thought um he's a cracker of a bloke he's behind a lot of stuff um and yeah he's doing some really really awesome work not just in hunting but around a simple tool the knife and uh what what it can do so without further ado let's get into this episode it's bloody awesome i was so privileged to have gareth on here and and set aside some of his time in what is a a hectic schedule and uh get out what is a awesome chat enjoy okay (laughs) kia ora everyone i'm speaking with the legend gareth hughes i was i just had to ask his last name and i was thinking gareth there must be some welsh there and then sure enough he rolls out hughes mate we <laughs> where's your heritage brother <laughs> well pretty well that you can see yeah uh, and there's a bit of scottish thistle on the arm there so yeah i'm, I'm the classic anglo-saxon i guess uh, from uh from that uh from all those people that made the journey on a boat i guess many moons ago to this uh, wonderful country yeah mate and um I'm quite offended. You're wearing a Liverpool top, mate. Um, good on them. They're, they're going to win the EPL for the first time in 50 years. How long have you been a fan of uh, of the Merseyside? Well, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it could, well, it could be today, mate. If hopefully, if uh, Chelsea can trip up City. But um, yeah, mate. I, I, funnily enough, I got given a win- the winning jersey from uh, Liverpool from Liverpool in 1987. I think it was was in the last time they won it. <laughs> 87 or 90 anyway from my neighbor you know when i was a young fella and i didn't know who to support and he, he threw he threw me his liverpool jersey and so just for whatever the reason that kind of inspired me and my story of how i became a liverpool supporter and spent a bit of time living in the uk when i was um you know young and wanting to party and um and uh yeah we managed to get to anfield a few times and i've just been yeah just right uh, you know mad about the reds ever since mate 
Hey, my old barber in Hamilton um, at Fox Kennedy, he's a massive Liverpool fan, so he'll be crossing his fingers as well. I'd say he'll be posting every bloody second on, on Instagram uh, that, that game, even though he hates the hell out of Man City and, and you know, Chelsea, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's about, about, about time, covered in glory, get the, get the Premier League trophy for the first time, be good. You know, it's it's pretty cool. Um, as a Man U supporter, I'm um, getting my my dues. I guess everyone sort of likes to hate Man U, and and we've had a dry patch for a while. So, you know, it had to come yeah. sometime. It can't be champions forever. It did, mate. It <laughs> did, mate. Yeah, yeah. and long mate, continue. You've been to the gym this morning, is that right? Yeah, mate. Now, yeah, I've been. Off, I've got myself on a bit of a program. I was a bit of a bagger bag of shit really through the lockdown period and um yeah it sort of you know fell into the the trap of kind of drinking probably 10 beers a day and in between obviously we were open the whole time as an essential business but we split the split the team into two groups so we did a five in the morning until one and then a one fifteen till nine to comply with the mpi rules um and separation so we sort of did a week on week off so that sort of threw the uh, through the rat rate routine or out a wee bit and um yeah I sort of got to the end of that and I felt kind of you know fat heavy um and like rock bottom to be honest like I don't think I'd ever got myself that bad and started to have those kind of epiphanies of you know like if I don't sort my shit out I'm probably gonna have a heart attack or something so um and and the and the final the final sort of nail in the coffin if you like was I was down at the mother-in-law's place in Raglan and I was up early and I just wandered down in the paddock just uh, actually got a farm down there just shooting a few rabbits and I was <laughs> turning around walking back up the hill, you know, not a steep hill, just on the gumboots and I was like, oh, fuck here, like blowing like yeah. an old steam train and I was like, I've got to sort this out. So, um, yeah, since then I've basically been back into doing the CrossFit every single morning and uh, been off the piss for uh, eight weeks apart from when I went on my hunting trip recently and uh, feeling shitload better for it, to be honest. So, um, yeah, sort of eight weeks in and I've given myself a good kick up the arse and managed to drop heaps of weight and starting to feel a bit more bit more lively and mentally it's bloody good for you too so no it's um now that i'm on kind of on the journey um yeah i've managed to yeah sort of started kind of at 110 and i've managed to see double figures on the scales for the first time in a wee while the other day which is um which is positive so yes it kind of encourages you to keep going really mate that's bloody awesome in the space of eight weeks and um what, what crossfit gym do you get uh, it's one in Birkenhead is where I go. So yeah, I sort of for years I did sort of a lot of a lot of boxing and bits and pieces and then just really I only really got into just sort of trying I just wanted to try something different really mm. and um started doing it. I've oh, kind of signed up it was really late last year. Um did bits of, only was doing it two or three times a week and then sort of yeah after lockdown I was like, all right, I'm gonna get serious about this and um yeah now I'm just going every morning at five thirty, uh, Monday to Friday and yeah, I'm, I've been blown away really about kind of just the variation and what it mm. what it's sort of done um, when it, when I didn't really think it was. And, you know, I don't look at what the workouts are. I just kind of, you know, drag myself out of bed every morning and turn up and get told what to do. And it's just so varied. And, um, yeah, starting to get into it. I'm not kind of, you know, preaching it to everyone. I just sort of go to the gym. But, it's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a pretty effective way to train. No, mate. And uh, how's the community at, at that gym there in Birkenhead? That's that was the thing. I've, I'm, I'm seeing videos from the guy from the guys over in Australia, and I'm just missing them. You know, missing them. Not, not so much, not so much the pain of, of the workouts, but missing them. How's the community at Birkenhead, man? Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, I mean, really supportive, and that's kind of the thing. I, um, you know, I said to the owner Paul and to his um, partner Emma, like, um, my my kind of challenges, like, oh, you know, generally, like, I hate being late, as I message you on the way, and I hate missing meetings, and I like being on time. And if someone's keeping me accountable, I'm probably far more, um, uh, you know, far more likely to get a better result. So I, um, I had a I got a hold of Emma and said, look, hey, I've got this challenge that sort of came up. I was like, my, my goal is to be, you know, fit by 40 and I had six months basically after mm -hmm. the lockdown to sort my shit out. So, and I was reckoning I could do pretty well in six months. So I said, do you want to, you know, be that person that, you know, keeps me accountable? And she goes, well, why don't we do a, a two weekly weigh-in and measurements and, um, and, and keep, you, keep you accountable that way? And, she's, and I was like, yeah, that's perfect. And um, she's like, we'll do it every Friday. And I was like, well, no, how about we do it every Monday? Because if I do it every Friday, I'm likely to fucking, you know, <laughs> get up to mischief on the weekend but if you make it Monday it sort of adds to that accountability so yeah so we've been doing that and it's been working really good so yeah I'm just yeah you know hooking into it and it's um, definitely making a making a difference so yeah. Mate that's some serious self-awareness right there to um, not hamstring yourself uh, where do you where has that where have you learnt that you know as you said you're nearly 40 there's a few years under the belt you, you're past the 25 a little bit now <laughs> where's that self-awareness um, coming I, from? I, I, 
I, I just, I, you know, if I think, like me personally, when I make myself accountable to others, I deliver more. And, um, you know, like I think it's the old, you know, internal critical self, you know, mm. like I can, I don't even train in the morning because if it, I've got to train in the afternoon, I'll come up, my brain's got to come out with really good excuses why I can't for the whole part of the day to sort of to park off and not do it. So get up, knock it out, get it done. And then the accountability thing, I guess, has always been, um, you know, like I, I, I'm motivated absolutely for most things, but at times it's sort of like if I don't have a meeting or a reason to kind of deliver on something, then you know, I might find a way to kind of wriggle out of that. So um, that sort of was is my mentality and I've kind of always been a bit of, you know, rightly or wrongly, a bit of all or nothing when it comes to these sorts of things. And, um, and oh, that's possibly something that really needs to be changed as well about trying to find moderation, et cetera. But um, whilst I'm kind of, you know, on the journey to try and, you know, get to where I want to go, I just feel like I might as well just, you know, fast track that and then figure out later about how I try and maintain it. Yeah, yeah mate, um, I've, I've got a little bit of that craziness going on. I, I just stupidly entered 101k ultra, and I don't know how the hell I'm going to get there, but um, I don't know if you're aware of Kane Briscoe, but he, he, he messaged me and he said, uh, just know this, you'll get to the finish line one way or the other. And I was like, mate, that's a, that's a quote for life, that one. That, that, that's not just trying to run yeah. stupid distance. That's that's outrageous. <laughs> Mate, I'm doing, doing, doing that's sort of outrageous. I've done, I think I've done four or five half marathons in my life and the only time I've ever done them, I've signed up to them is because it's the only way to make myself run because otherwise I can't get myself out of bed to go running. So um, I think I've done Auckland three times in a row. And, okay. um, two years ago, I cramped up coming up over the Harbour Bridge and I was spewing because all I wanted to do was run the whole thing and I was literally a cripple. Probably didn't help that. I'd had a few beers with them, not, mate, the night before and what whatnot. But then I went back last year and um, ran the whole lot and I was like, God, I've kind of ticked that box now. So it wasn't a record time by any stretch, but I managed to keep the old legs chugging along like a diesel for just over a couple of hours and I got there. So done. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something to be said for, you know, chucking it in the low box and keeping it going. That was something Andre Alapati gave to us is uh, who's in control of your machine um, when, you, when you're climbing those hills. <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah, exactly. And it gets pretty real when you're at altitude and the, oh. there's not as much oxygen in there either. And you've kind of got, got this large weight on your back, which you normally don't wander around with. <laughs> so, so while we're there, how did, it, how did it all go? Where were you? Well, you know, generally, you don't want to give away details, but uh, oh no, I'm not happy to share it, mate. It's all no. I think that these backcountry parts of New Zealand need to be talked about. Um, first time, first trip for us, we um, we had a we had a ballot block on the raw, which obviously didn't happen. So. Um, as soon as we heard lockdown was lifted, I spent three hours with Air New Zealand trying to reroute a flight, which they managed to charge me an extra 200 bucks for as well for the same thing. And, um, you know, once I got through that, we got we jumped on a flight, me and a good mate of mine, Conrad, and went down to my uh, cousin Craig's place. He lives down, he's got a farm down on Harwear Flat. Like it. Um, and then we uh, jumped in with the Alpine helicopter boys and we flew up to the upper dingle. Um, awesome. Went in there with yeah, Conrad and Craig and his, um, and his Mrs. Nicola. Um, and we shot up there. Um, got We got dropped at one end of the of the, of the valley and, and Craig and Nicola got dropped at the uh, at the other end. And we spent a couple of nights fly camping back towards the dingle hut. And um, yeah, it was just stunning, mate. We had you know just beautiful weather for the first couple of days. Um, kind of one of those things we sort of just I just was enjoying sitting on the top of the, the mountain just enjoying the vista where we looked up we climbed right to the top and looked over the Ahariri and um, it's mm. just stunning country and um, kind of funnily enough I did, didn't see bugger all for the first 24 hours um, I got a radio call from uh, from my cousin and he'd shot a, um, what he thought was a pretty good bull tarp um, but unfortunately when he shot it it kind of shot you know went down a big spree slope and landed on top of this waterfall and uh, he's probably like me. He's not probably built like a Nepalese mountain goat, and um, and he just couldn't retrieve it. And he had a sleepless night. Um, and he, you know, we got back to the hut after a couple of days, and he was showing me the photos that he'd taken, you know, before he'd shot it. And I was like, mate, that looks like a ripper. And um, the, you know, he couldn't sleep all night, so he got on the set phone and um, yeah, called the boys from Heli Alpine Helicopters. They didn't have a hell of a lot to do, so they were there in half an hour. He um, said, make sure you bring one of the young fellas to put on the long strop because he couldn't be fucking off the bottom of a helicopter. And they flew up, pointed where it was, and he, I don't know, spent thirteen hundred bucks dropping it back to the hut. And um, sure enough, she was uh, she was over twelve. Um, it's funny because there's a couple of comments on the old Instagram page about, oh, it looks pretty low. And if you look really close, there's a helicopter blade coming out behind them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so he retrieved it because he had to, and then um, yeah, we caped it out, and um, he's getting it mounted, so it's going up with his collection in the lounge, and um, no, it's a ripper, and 
Nicola got a uh, chamois in there. We ended up getting a couple of fellow just um, back, back around his place just to come home with a bit of meat. But it was just, yeah, it was awesome just to spend some time in the hills again and cleanse the soul and be away from everything. And, um, yeah, just it's just a stunning bit of, bit of country up there and um, saw heaps of sign and pretty plenty of encouragement to go back. So um, yeah, I'd recommend getting up there if you, if you can. Mate, if you want somebody to do something crazy, I think Alpine helicopters are you, are you, are you guys. Tim Wallace, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a nutter. So <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah, yeah, well, he, 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 was, yeah, he, he was our pilot. So, um, oh, right. It was, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was, oh, sorry no, it was to, Toby was flying us, sorry. Toby Wallace, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, no, it was awesome, mate. We had a, it was just good catching up with those guys. And, you know, when we went in there, it was just, you know, again, like you sort of feel, feel real, real good after that COVID thing, supporting local business and stuff. They were kind of like, man, thanks for, you know, I said to Craig, thanks for the call for pick, pick, coming to pick this up. We had nothing else to do today. So, you know, we, you know, we stopped at a yarn and they hung around while we caked it out. And they said, oh, we'll, we'll take, take the head and the, and the cake back for you and chuck it in the freezer and you can sort it out oh, when we come pick it up later in the week. So, yeah, no, good. Good guys, and um, yeah, we're flowing with those guys. They used to time, so it's um, yeah, yeah, it's good to support them. Absolutely, mate. You, you talked about getting up there on on the vistas in that area. I've I've hunted Tamaru Creek, I think, three or four times. And I went into um, it's called Moonline Roses, and up onto the the range that separates it from Dingle. And mate, the, those views. I've, yep. I've reposted that video I took up on the saddle a few times, and just absolutely sensational looking. Up, up the river across the Ahururi. Yeah. What a special place. Stunning, eh? Yeah, we we stayed at we stayed at Moonline Roses before. It's pretty pretty rodent infested from out from my memory. And there was what my and then I think we and the and as we I think we spoke about there's that that kind of random fence that makes an incredibly good way to get up that hill to get up over into that next gut, which um was kind of one of those, you know, hot, I don't know, one of those random backcountry luxuries when you're <laughs> when you're trying to help yourself up high. Um, yeah, we out the with the night. One of the nights we stayed in there, we had the cousin's dog up there too, and he ended up coming back into. He found some rotten old tar, bloody skin or something, and he'd been rolling around in that, and he came back into the thing, and the place stunk. But he was kind of chasing all the rats out of the place, so um, you know, it's kind of I don't know what was worse, but don't like rodents. Yeah, we were there Labor, labor Weekend. And all, yeah, all we really had is a, is a couple of possums chasing each other around the woodpile, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't too bad. <laughs> Now, now, mate, where are you sitting right now? Is this Mission Control? Is it? Yeah, mate. This is um, this is me just uh, sitting at my desk in the bloody old factory. I've got a bit of the old history on the wall of our old price list that started in 1967 and go through to 1980, and old bits of advertising and a few bits and pieces. Just uh, an old marker, and I was GM at Mar for a number of years working with Jeff, and there's a little quote that he gave me when I left about Theodore, uh, Theodore Roosevelt quote, which he thinks summarises me pretty well. So I know it's a few little sort of mementos of, um, of, of, you know, sort of history and stuff that I've done in the past. And, um, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm loving um, running a knife business. It's been just cool and just awesome people. Um, and just the passion that people have for what is really one of the most simple kind of tools in the world is, uh, it just blows me away. So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled and stoked to um, have the opportunity to kind of be the custodian of this business for the next sort of, you know, hopefully number of years and, and, and keep growing the, the victory story that's um, 94 years long now. Wicked, mate. So is... Uh... Moa, you were linked to Jay Reeve as well, or is that just? Uh, is... Yeah, so what? Well, yeah, I met Jay. Well, yeah, met Jay through Moa. Oh, Forty Two Blow actually. When, when I was back yep. at Forty Two Blow years ago, is when I first met Jay. I think he uh, started seeing one of the one of the birds that was on the team or something. I think was the story how that all started. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, he's just been yeah, just a top bloke and um, you know keen to help. And yeah, we you know just he sort of calls up and throws a few ideas my way and it doesn't take us ages to make a decision and we just sort of hook into it. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's a good bugger. So, it's good to see me today at the dart. Yeah, mate. So, that that um, wrap that you guys got, was that leather? Yeah, see, it's leather, yes. Yeah, so uh, I got it uh, sort of custom made for, you know, when I started with Victory just because I think, you know, I think presentation of stuff and um, and just, you know, the ability because, you know, I'm always travelling with heaps of knives. It's kind mm-hmm. of like I needed a... Needed a solution, so um, yeah, they've been here, yeah, began pretty good, and um, yeah, it's a nice sort of you know, fancy way to roll out my knives for the meat works, really. It's <laughs> really cool, hey, yeah. I often see you know, I've worked in a couple of kitchens and been yelled at by chefs, but 
you know, you can see them rolling out this this sword of of amazing knives. Is that where that sort of idea comes from? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we had a few. We we sort of got a canvas one and stuff, and then I just started looking around for things, and you start seeing options, and you know, then you just sort of start, I guess, you know, going down the the whole of where can I get these made, and and you start identifying the countries that you know are big in tanning leather, and um, I ended up, um, you know, it took me ages. I ended up ending up um, buying those out of India of all places, and. Mm. Um, yeah, that that and and the guy they're actually really really good to deal with. Just you know, it's similar to I guess when we're trading with people offshore, is you you know you agree on what you want, you put the money in their bank account, and then you hope a hundred knife rolls turn up sometime in the next <laughs> six weeks. So, um, and they did. So, and I'm really happy with them. Yeah, good. Mate, tell us about you know you see they've been around a wee while. Tell us about how Victory Knives all began. So we started with a guy by the name of Edward Goddard. So he was a uh, he was a cutler from Sheffield, England. He moved mm. over here, and um, you know back then Sheffield was the home of steel. Obviously, before the, the, all the foundries and and steel mills kind of you know got closed down there in the industrial uh, well things in the fifties. I think that happened. And um, so he came over here in 1926, I think it was, and then started making knives. And that's when he started. You know that's basically so it started as um, New Zealand Cutler Company. Um, and he was making knives for meatworks. Um, you know, started to establish the business. The business was opened on Mortimer Pass and a new market back then. Um, then things were, you know, by all accounts, track along pretty good. And, and, and the interesting thing that I've got is I've literally got all the history. I've got old documents from, you know, from either, you know, tucked away. And I'm a real fan of kind of keeping that and trying to, you know, I guess retell that story as, as best I can and over time and there are different versions that I've kind of picked up and heard and I'm always keen to you know talk to people and hear from people that may know any of that history because it's always good to get a take on it um so yeah he and then so he started making knives for butchers um and back then obviously butchers were getting kind of whole beasts and, and breaking them down so it was kind of you know the way to go um then the war came along world war Two, um and then he, the business pretty well diverted all of its production to making knives for the New Zealand Australia and US armies for different and different areas so um back then obviously all industry was called on to, to support you know the, the forces and uh, and what was going down so that was when you know we started to get all of these um you know the night um i'll show you one quickly hold on um <coughs> stuff like this here is um this is the old this uh, this uh, it's called the knuckle duster type two. It's got the skull splitter on the top to dong people on the head with, um, and that was that that went to a whole lot of the infantry men. I've got you know a whole lot of that history, which I think is really cool to to have. Um, so then he he um, so war sort of stopped, and then went back to making knives for for, for meat processing. Um, he had his son, then took um, started running the business for a while. Well, then the business was sold to a guy by the name of uh, Bob Tattersfield. He had it for, uh, so the Goddard's had it for, I think, 36 years or something, I think it was. And then Bob Tattersfield had it for 20, 20 30 years as well. Um, and then he started then, that was kind of up in the 270s. That was when injection moulding started happening. They banned using wooden handles in the meatworks because they're porous and obviously not good for, you know, for, for, for keeping, um, you know, any nasties out of out of the handle, and that's when injection molded plastic handles came into into the floor. Um, and then Bob Tattersfield sold it to John Bamford, who was the guy that I bought it off. John had it for 22 years, um, and John started introducing obviously a bit of CNC machines. He introduced the the, the robot, which we call Edward, and um, named after Edward Goddard. Um, and uh, he, he is interested in robotics. All of our machinery is 100% really comes from from Burger in Germany, which is, um, so we use all German machinery. We use German steel. We use German grinding wheels and componentry. So every, all part of this business is kind of best quality that we use to try and make the best product we can. So these, you know, over the years, there's been some trials with other suppliers out of other countries for those key key consumables, but um, none of them have kind of, you know, stu you know, been up to the standard of the German stuff. And, you know, whilst you pay for it, it is really good quality. Um, and then, yeah, John um, sold the business to me just over a year ago, and um, he'd been in it for 20-odd years, and he was ready for a change. And it was just one of those chance things that happens. I'd been at Moa for nine years. I was starting to feel like I was kind of, uh, sick of it and I needed a change I didn't know what I wanted to do what I did want to do was buy my own business and run my own show so um, 
I started sort of, you know, looking lightly before Christmas time and, and you know, and I'm a firm believer things happen for a reason. And um, a good friend of mine, Mark, who's a business broker around me up and said, bro, I've got the perfect thing for you. <laughs> I, what is it? He said, victory knives. And I was like, fuck, oh, yeah. I said, oh, a bit of a pipe dream. I was like, yep, I'm keen. Just, you know, I don't know. I need a metrics behind it. I don't know how much I was, you know, can I even afford the bloody thing? I don't know. There was a whole lot of stuff. But I was like, yeah, I'll throw my head in the ring. So I went away for Christmas and, um, I remember talking to Jeff actually before I left. I said, oh, I need to have a good think while I'm away. And we, you know, pretty open, honest chats about where we're at with things. And, you know, obviously I'd been working with them for 13 or 14 years through 42 Blow and then into, <clears throat> into Moa, uh, Moa. And then, um, yeah, I sort of got back and like got, just worked into, walked into work the first day after a couple of weeks off. And I was like, fuck, I'm over this. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, the buzz wasn't there. I just wasn't feeling it. And um, literally that day, Mark rang me up and said, shit, I've just got the listing agreement signed. Um, I was like, cool, make me an appointment. I want to be the first guy to meet John. So, yeah, that Friday I went in and saw John and we spent, oh no, we came in on the Saturday actually, came in on the Saturday and looked at the business, looked because of why the staff went here and looked at all the machinery, et cetera, and had a real, spent three hours with John going through it all. And then he said to me, oh, well, um, and I said to him, I was like, mate, I, I love, you know, what I see, I love the history, I love everything about this. And I said, like, um, you know, I think, you know, you're an honest good man I'm, and, and I'm kind of the same one I said I'll make you an offer by close of business today and turns out John was like well if I was there was anyone I could sell the business to or, or you know a person it would be a guy like you so I made the offer uh, he accepted it he accepted the offer and um, subject to due diligence and then he cancelled all the other other people that he was supposed to be showing through the business which apparently there's a massive queue for and um, the first person they rung up to cancel the viewing for made an offer which was significantly higher than mine mm. knowing that that had to be presented um, to the vendor um, and that got presented to John he said no I want to sell it to Gareth so it sort of shows a bit about you know that sort of I guess you know it's not all about dollars and cents in this world there's you know I think buying a business and my big learning from buying a business it's not like buying a house you know like you buy a house and you want a house because it's got so many bathrooms so many bedrooms and there isn't a whole lot of emotion in it but when you buy a business I think you know you're buying some you know someone's previous livelihood and legacy of what they've done um he you know he was really like me I'm, I'm a big fan of culture and people and making sure the environment is great to work in and, and he was really worried for the staff when he was selling it and it was a really big move for John and he wasn't you know he was a bit he was nervous about what was going to happen because the control of it was going away and there have been, I know, in the past, some approaches to victory from some of the big competitors, and they went partly down the track. But I think ultimately, if some of those bigger investors would have come in here and probably, you know, rolled the whole manufacturing piece up, taken the brand and made it somewhere else, and essentially ruined what is what it is. Um, so yeah, so we we did the deal, and um, and I said to him, well. Oh, I said I can get DD done in four weeks. Um, you're buggering off to Europe for a month mm -hmm. on the first of uh, June, um, so I said I'll kick off the day before. So I turned up, sort of, you know, handed the keys to my new business um, maker knives, and he jumped on a plane and buggered off to Europe for a month. So whilst I was a bit worried about that, it was probably the best thing that could have happened because you know I was thrown in the deep end and just spent, you know, and I've spent now I've got I think I've got pretty well sorted. I spent the last over twelve months sort of working out what I've got and you know the system and when you live and breathe it all day every day um, and just adding bits. I mean I've it's effectively you know it's a ninety three year old business and it's been going for ninety three ninety four years when I bought it. Um, like my whole thing was don't break it at twelve months. Just understand what you've got and just see what parts you can enhance and there's you know, there's still plenty of awesome things that I've written down in the kind of ideas book, which will, which will come later, I suppose. Yeah. So you mentioned there that the team and the staff, how, how many people does Victory employ and, and you know, improve the lives of, of a wider community within New Zealand? So we've got, we got 13, 13 staff, full-time staff here. Um, we kind of kick off every morning, mostly at sort of 5.30 and um, and finish up at about sort of quite good, somewhere between, depending if you start at 5.30, finish at 2 and the latest person finishes at 4. So I'm a real fan of that because I think, you know, I'm a morning person and I think getting home, most of us have got kids to get home and spend some time with the kids. I mean, long gone are those kind of what I think is that sort of being seen in the office stuff of the nine till five and sitting in traffic with everyone else. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of staff here, you know, our oldest staff member here has been with us. Oh, we've had people here over 21, over 25 years and one couple up around 20 years. So just, Massive loyalty, really good people, um, really good environment. And, um, you know, most of probably what I've done, you know, in the last 12 months is just really investing into into the, the guys in the factory and, and machinery and, and 
you know, tidying stuff up, you know, just even little things like putting a big victory knife, steel, you know, um, laser cut steel um, logo on the side of the factory wall. Like, you know, this is the place that, you know, I say to them and many people say to me and sort of, you know, some of the best knives in the world are made in this, this building. So our mm. care to production and process to making sure everything that leaves this place is the best that can possibly be is... Is, is paramount to them and that's the, that's the message really that we sort of always put them through and you know all of them take a lot of pride in that and um, yeah no, I'm, I'm blessed I've got a great team of, of really dedicated good people and um, and lucky to inherit that so it's exactly the same team that um, that John had when I bought the business No, other than we had one guy leave and we've employed a new guy and um, yeah and hopefully we can keep employing more as we make more knives. Awesome, mate. So what's the sort of broad set of skill set that's going on there? Like you said, someone's been there 25 years. That must be a hell of a lot of knowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, well, what we try and do is we try and train people on multi parts of, of the plant. So, you know, we want everyone to be able to do two or three of the various parts of the process. Um, so, you know, led by Eugene, who's our general manager slash production manager, uh, um, he's a qualified engineer. Um, and qualified engineers. So these guys are generally good qualified qualified engineers. They know their CNC machines. Um, they've got an understanding of robotics, and then also just then drilling down into our QC processes around making sure a hardness of blades is correct and the testing that happens through. So it is pretty manual, and every single in the workflow of making a knife has a job to do in terms of testing. QC, so we don't have, um, you know, potential breakers happening, and you know that's our kind of guide. Like we will get every week there'll be a knife break, but you know we we're getting that's we're talking one in every three thousand knives we will get a breaker, but then we understand and investigate that. And like um, my view is breaks head and bait for the customer on a plant or something where it can cause mayhem, um, and that's a really key part for us is making sure it goes out best quality possible. So how are you guys getting steel coming in? Is, is, is sheets or more what? Sheets starts two and a half by one point eight meter sheets comes out of Sologen in Germany. Uh, we bring it in by the container load. Um, our laser cutting partner is um, Mulcahy Engineering out in out in Evendale. So they we've got an agreement with them. So we send the full container there, and they devan it and store the sheets of steel um, out of the cutter. And when we put in our purse sorters for cutting blades, they just pull off whatever you know we bring in. There's two different two two different types of steel, and there's five, six different thicknesses of each different types of those steels. So every blade starts with a various thickness, you know, the smallest being a 1.2 mil up to a 2.75 or three in some examples. And then we send, we, we do all the CAD drawings of the shapes of the knives and we send it to them and then they run it through their big expensive fancy laser cutting machines and they send us a whole lot of raw steel cut blades and every other part of the process then happens. Um, etching, sharpening, handling and out the door. Nice. And so what, what's Edward's role? He's, he's on the sharpener, is that right? Yeah, he's, his role is to never stop. No, he's, um, <laughs> he's, he's a sharpening robot. So we, we feed him uh, blades and he just goes all day, every day, um, unless there's you know, a bit of maintenance going on. So he, he's able to, uh, we're able to robotically sharpen 40, 42 of the 49 different blade shapes we do. And, um, and that's just programming and how it can be picked up and, and different measurements on the, um, on the way that Edward picks them up and grinds them. And then everything that can't be done by the robot, um, we've got a, a, a fella called Sarun who's been here for ages and he's an absolute master. So, you know, it's, it's either done by Sarun or it's done by Edward. So, um, and they both do a bloody great job. Mate, so what, what really matters on the edge, like, what is what does the angle need to be and, and i guess it's well, uh, the right tool for the job is it yeah well i mean all of them are done at the same so the bevel of a knife generally is talking about 15 17 degrees from you know from a taper and then you've got to get that bevel which is then you which forms down into your to your edge which is fundamentally you know the edge of a knife or the feather as it's called as as microscopic so um when you're when the guys are using them and you see the professional guys using them they're always stealing them and the reason they're always stealing them is because that um 
um, always got a nice long round. That kind of microscopic part of the edge just needs to be tidied up and pushed up the whole time. So um, that's what this, that's what the role of the steel is for. So um, the, the then the the variation to that is how hard your steel is, um, and, or hard or soft your steel is, and that obviously is going to see like a really hard, overly hard blade. Um, I know I've got a whole lot of competitive stuff here that we test and measure to see, you know, why the performances of their stuff are slightly different to ours, and then it's trying to find that balance. So if it's too hard, so if it's really hard steel, you'll get a good edge and it'll hold an edge for a while, but as soon as you lose that edge, you're buggered to try and put it back on. If it's too soft, it's not going to hold the edge I've for got very long, but it's going to be... I've got a hard yeah, yeah. edge. A lot of back. it's just about... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's when you start, need to start getting your stones out and grinding them down. But that's um, and again, it's really one of those things. I've never, you know, out of all the things I've done, I've there's so many different opinions on knives and applications for certain knives that, hey, it's there's no right or wrong way, and everyone's got a different way of doing things. So you know, you just got to try and work with what kind of people like doing. I guess. Yeah, it, for me, it's ended up that you know I've got this hunting knife that's super super hard, but I can't get the edge back on it, and I've resorted to this really high carbon. Um, old shepherd slash butcher's knife that I, that I picked up in a, in a shed of, well, I don't know what it you know, it's like pick a job on trade me, whatever it was um, for, for students, student job search, that's right. And they basically said, oh, pick out, any, if there's anything you want in here, you can you can have it. And there was this old shepherd's knife in there. I was like, oh yeah, that'd be good. And, you know, wooden handle, it looks it looks a lot like what you guys make. And, I, uh, I, I, would, I, would, I would hazard a guess that's probably one of our knives. And if you want me to recondition it, mate, send it up to me and I'll make it look brand new for you. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually a, a bloody awesome knife. As I said, it's a bit, it's a pretty high carbon, so you've you got to make sure it's dry. But yeah, um, yeah it, it, you can get the edge back real fast. <laughs> so send me a photo of it and I'll tell you what it is. It's probably one of our old Green Rivers, and generally they are. I mean, I've, I've, done, I've had quite a few guys where we've, you know, they've been, you know, inherited knives or found knives from their dads or whatever, and, and I know they can be really sentimental. So quite often, I just tell people to send them to me and we give them a polish them up or put a new handle on it if the handle is buggered. And, and um, give it a bit of a birthday because you know they're a bit of an heirloom at times. The old knives they stick around for a while. Yeah, I have to have to go next time I'm down at my old man's. We have to check his one as well because yeah, it, it's it, he had that as a, as a young father and possibly even got that from a from a grandfather as well. It's yeah, like you say, it's an heirloom. You know, it comes with the steel as well, which is always good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, perfect. You know, like, yeah, I reckon it could be a green river. Yeah, wicked. Um, so how much of sort of, you know, and I was listening to Jeff talk on Monday with the Virginia of Agriculture guys, how much of his sort of marketing and thinking influence is following through into what you're doing with Victory Knives? Because like, sort of I came back to New Zealand in May last year and all of a sudden you guys were everywhere. Um, how much of that sort of marketing and communication from Jeff? Yeah, I, I mean, I... I guess a lot, you know, obviously the way of working sort of, I guess, roles, you know, you, you're going to pick up some of that stuff. But it's, I think what makes teams and business good is having some difference to them. I mean, you know, Jeff's, you know, and he, I'm sure he would agree with this comment. He's the the marketing, more marketing sort of brand focus, whereas I'm probably more, I was always a sales guy, right? Or that's kind of what you know, my bread and butter. So we complemented each other. with From a marketing point of view, I've learned, learned heaps off the guy and even, you know, I caught up with him when I was down hunting the other week and went around for a coffee at uh, had a chat with him and, and just interesting getting the feedback of him seeing what I've done with Victory um, in 12 months and, and his take on it. And he was really complimentary. So yeah, you learn a lot. I think, you know, if you're not being a sponge throughout your life with all the different people you come across and trying to take the bits that you like or you think you can kind of work with and, and applying them to what you do, then you're kind of missing a trick. So, um, and I've been really lucky to work with some, um, you know, some really talented people in, in my career and, and taking those bits and pieces and trying to, I guess, you know, sprinkle them into what I do and, and into the formula that, that I think works for me. So yeah, no, Jeff's been a great influence and um, and a great guy to be able to have there to bounce stuff off if you're sort of, you know, if you're questioning something or, or, or a direction you want to take. And what are you guys sort of doing to measure the influence, to use that word, of, of the guys on social media? How, how does that, how does that sort of show up as a metric? It, well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, when I bought Victory, there was no, I mean, there was an Instagram page. It had 20 people on it and it wasn't being used. It was set up by John's daughter, uh, you know, whenever it was set up. Um, Facebook was in the same boat. Um, 
and I and I think now you know like people are con people are consuming their media online, they're communicating online, and things have changed. So you know, ninety three years of making knives, and then we sort of end up on Instagram in a short mm -hmm. period of time. We've grown quite a loyal following, and um, I, I do see the sales converting. And I, you know, I'll have conversations with people about a certain knife or a certain you know application they want, and then you'll see the order come through, or it'll go through into a customer, or I can link them up with a customer to buy it. So I think you know that's that it's different to you know maybe five or six years ago where there was banner ads and stuff happening on websites, and you click through. People now can go to the brand, find out, you know, how genuine they, they like that brand and find out more about that story and really engage to be able to then purchase. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, any marketing deck you'll see from a, from a, you know, from a, um, a research company is about the millennials is they want to know more. They want to know where it's come from. They want to know everything. And, and that's great. I mean, and with the way technology is these days, it makes that really easy to do. So, um, yeah, I think it's been really helpful. Um, there's an amazing community out there of, of people that are all passionate. And, and, the, and the great thing about the people, I guess, in that, at hunting outdoors, that sort of space, agriculture, uh, rural, etc., is everyone's really keen to, to to support and get out and do it. And I mean, you know, there's, you know, hey, there's always going to be kids, the world's going to have them. But, but for the most part, people are really complimentary and helpful I mean you know of you know forging relationships with guys like you know Michael from Chase and Gather like yeah. what a great guy he is um, and just him coming in he comes into the factory all the time we just yarn and you know guys like Tim Kevinman who set up Eat What You Kill another really good guy that's just you know it's just trying to get you know my my theory is rising tide or lift many ships there's a whole oh, yeah. lot of good people doing great things in different niches in the hunting and outdoor space that if they you know, if you support each other, that's good. And, and yeah, so it's a cool industry to be part of and um, and a welcome relief from um, hanging out with bartenders and, um, and, and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've, I've, uh, I think most people have been there and so they can, they can really yeah. relate to, to that side of the of, of the world. Mate, you said about that. I, I, no disrespect to bartenders, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, you said something there that I think needs repeating. A rising tide lifts all ships. It's been been a common theme for me um, over the last few months. And I was having a conversation with somebody last night about, you know, just the simple things you can do to, to support genuine people out there that are, that are really going after it. And, and we were talking about um, Justin Amor and what he's planning to do, to do with the Tarot. And, and, you know, I was talking to him yesterday. He said he was having a chat with you. And, like, absolutely the, the the people out there that are just doing it doing it for the love of it doing it to to better you know their their small patch like oh it's just it's just pretty awesome and the same like you said michael's name there chasing gather like oh, I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times and was like you know what's what's the goal here and it's just that's all it is it's you know just just make it make it better sharing some information and and um and lifting people up and I was like mate you are just you're just a champ and, and I was so was a so great, awesome a great human here. being a great human being that actually practices what he preaches too, which is the best thing. I mean, you know, like almost on the daily, you can get a little bit of motivation from seeing him wandering up at uh, uh, Mount Wellington with, a, you know, 25 kilos in his back, sweating it out. And you're like, man, it's going to make me do something, work a bit harder today. And I think he's, um, yeah, he's a, you know, when you've got advocates like that, that are doing that and then out there pushing it, it's just awesome to see. And, you know, to touch on the Dustin one, I mean, that's a, just another great example of, I, he, he just rung me, or did he ring me or message? He messaged me after um, I did the um, chat um, with Matt on the Educated Hunter. And um, he, he just said, hey, mate, and I love what you're doing. And, and, and he's sort of telling me about him, about, him, about the Tower um, Foundation project. And I was like, mate, what? I mean, most the thing that kind of got me to start with, I was like, this, this guy's super passionate. Like, what a champion. Like, irrespective of you know, where you live and what you do. I was just like, this guy needs to be, you know, I want to work with this guy. Like he's, he's just got this passion running through him. Like you've never seen it. You've got to help people like that. And I was like, look, I'm on board. I don't live anywhere near the Tararuas, but the thing I love about what he's doing is he's fundamentally setting up, I reckon, a really awesome pilot project for hunters to help in their various regions and to replicate. Um, and it's not just hunters, it's people that outdoors, bushwalking, et cetera, you know, bird watchers, everything in that space. It's saying, like, I guess the message is don't piss and moan about doc dropping 1080. Be part of the solution, don't be part of the problem and try and help out. You know, there are traps, there are ways to help out. All of us do walk in or get helicopter in or whatever, but 
how hard it would, would it be for every hunter to drop 10 traps, send the GPS coordinates to dock and get them managed to try and better, um, you know, the environment that we've got to go hunting in. And that was my kind of major why with, with um, Justin is, you know, like I think it's great for Tauras. I think it's a great thing and I think he'll be successful with it and it can roll out in other places. But but mostly the driver was is the passion of the guy and, and supporting a guy like that to go out and, and, and um and do what he's doing. I think it's admirable. So um people like him need to be talked about and supported and helped, I reckon. Absolutely. I can't wait to get down there and, and learn a bit about another part of this awesome country, new new set of bush, new set of terrain and um and do you Yeah, me too. To, to help out. Yeah, like. and, and and I'm glad I might be fitter when I meet up with him because he looks like a bit of a <laughs> goat, hey? So like I sort of said, oh mate, we'll leave it for a few months before I even think about coming down your way. Yeah, I'm going going down to catch up with him, I think, in two weeks and yeah, I sort of asked him, I was like, so what's the deal with this this mountain? And he said, oh, I walk up and then run down, sometimes a couple of times. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, right. Don't know what I'm, know what I'm in for if I come, come see you. Um, but yeah, even, even like even like you say, there's, there's always there's always bad eggs and, and people can piss and moan about forest and bird. But when, when you actually meet a person, like yesterday I had a patient, you know, and he, he kind of under his breath said, oh, what I do in my own time is, is do stuff for forest and bird. I go out and, and trap it. And um and poison, you know, rats and and stoats and and possums. And I was like, man, you know, that's that's good. And I said to him, what do you reckon about them sort of taking dock to court? And he said, oh, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, we Hawks Bay and Topol and stuff just gave them a bunch of money, and and that's what's happening. But you know, then we once you get past the differences, and this is what Matt Gibson and I talked about. Once you get past the differences, holy shit, we are exactly the same. Like we had this big conversation about deer and. Um, what I'd seen in the car workers a couple of weeks ago after what's been a drought and and then and then you know no hunters going in there they, you definitely notice the impact of the air and, and what that means for the ecology and if, if the majority of us could start taking that look at what it is we're doing what you know what's the impact of these animals and and what's the end goal then maybe we can start working together and, and like I say what Justin's doing is a little pilot what the Seeker Foundation's doing what what um yeah, what we doing to our foundations doing you know it's all just pilots for going like right let's put the differences aside let's work together and let's let's come up with the end goal let's make sure that that the plants that we are trying to save are there and if they're not there then let's adapt and and you know what, what does chuckle wing say something like adapt and apply or something like that um so we yeah, and, and i think the part the part that frustrates the shit out of me and i guess that that like the only winner out of that happening is lawyers and yeah. it's a whole lot of wasted money, time and resource to for, to have an internal infight because two people, two, you know, there's two groups of people um, and there's just some pig-headed personalities in there that decide the only way to sort that is to go and throw the legal book at it. Well, I, I mean, I don't know all the details and I don't even act like, like I'm a, you know, an expert on it, but I just look at it from the outside and just think it's absolutely fucking crazy that... that, that that resource, the limited resources that these these organisations have to do their job, they're pouring into a fucking legal battle with each other, mm. um, or one with the other. It's crazy. You've, as soon as the papers get served, you've got to go to the, you know, doctor got to go to their lawyer, and everyone's got to start paying legal fees. No one's winning. There ain't any stoats winning out of that. There ain't any rats dying out of that. There's just basically guys in the glass towers in downtown Auckland, you know, cash sending in their six minute blocks of billing and, and, and everyone else is sitting there waiting for the results. So I just reckon it's just, yeah, someone's got to step up and sort that out, I reckon. Absolutely. That's what I was sort of saying to them, you know, come the start of, of Barnch when we're in lockdown, Morris and Bird are sending out, you know, requesting donations. And like he said, you know, Hawke's Bay donated a bunch of money, Topol donated a bunch of money. And then to just see it all of a sudden, it's like you say, squandered on legal fees. It's like, Gosh, they and and um, Hunters Journal and NZ Hunter have both highlighted how much um, funding that organisation gets, and it's amazing. It's like something to be commended. And, and and from our side of the fence, we're looking at it going shit. How do we get that model going? You know that mm. you know, we we could actually achieve some things with that sort of money. But it's, to then see it like I say, thrown thrown to lawyers in Auckland, that's just all Wellington. You're like, oh, that's that's disappointing. Yeah, that's there's only one winner and he's probably wearing a suit and driving a convertible Porsche. <laughs> yeah, anyway, away away from the politics, bro. Um, 
what what's what was the response like from the from the guys when you when you did that promotion with the rock you know it it just must be really handy to be in the in the conversation all of a sudden you know like i say it's a simple tool but geez when you got a good one it's amazing well funny i seen i i'd had a few beers in the lockdown and sent an idea to uh to jay sort of about Oh, I can't even remember what it was. I can't even been that good. And he, he said, oh, that's good. We'll catch up on it. And then kind of went quiet for a few weeks and, you know, things carried on. And then he just rang me one afternoon. It was about five weeks ago and said, mate, we've just had a sponsor for North versus South um, drop out. Um, you know, they were giving away, I think it was 50 bucks a day to the cooler. Um, do, you, do you want to get involved? I said, oh, I've got no money, but I've got knives. I can give you a knife a day and we'll give away a knife roll at the end of it. He's fucking brilliant. We'll do that. And then that was literally as easy as the conversation was. And then... <laughs> Literally an hour later, they had their first one and they'd voiced it over and pulled all the stuff down. And it's been good. I mean, I think, you know, like people, um, you know, people in the meat industry and butchers, I, I guess, know us. Um, you know, the hunting space grow, definitely growing, but an area of opportunity for us. And my whole philosophy was always, you know, when buying knives, and I've bought a lot of knives over the years for hunting trips, and I've always bought the wrong, you know, something with a fancy handle and the wrong shape and a knife that's fundamentally just not really been the right tool for the job. And I guess all I ever needed to be told was this is the knife that they use in the meatworks or this is the knife that they use in the fish processing plants, which is really what butchery is. And I'm like, well, if it's good enough for the guy spending 40 hours a week on the on the tools, then it's good enough for me to use as a weekend hack every now and then. So trying to trying to sort of get that message out there, I think, is the, the key one. And then, you know, our chef's knives have started to do really well because it's exactly the same steel, same finish as the quality as what they're using in the meatworks, but you can use it in your kitchen. You know, challenge being is, I guess, you know, the people like a bit more bling on the handle, for example, but, you know, we, I've got a few little projects that I'm working on. I've listened to the people are saying, you know, they want something a bit nicer than, you know, a plastic handle. That's fine. So we've got something coming for that to try and, you know, bling up the kitchen. But, you know, we're the hard-working tool knife, you know. It's not about $300 with a fancy finish. It's about cutting throats, skinning animals, getting out and making mistakes, I guess. Yeah, I guess, you know, chefs are artists, so you, you've got to get to, get into that creative zone, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Yeah, hey. yeah. And, and there's a lot of companies as well that we sell just blades to, and you see the fancy handles um, put on them and, and sold for lots of money, and it's great to have those people doing that stuff with our knives as well. It's, um, I've got a bit of an eager life picking them out. I know what our blade shapes are, so I can pretty, pretty quickly pick up um, potentially where that might have come from. Nice. I just said chefs are artists, but I have a huge appreciation for butchers. Like um, a couple of the guys that sort of give you guys content, uh, um, home kill butchers, and what some some of those guys can do with with a you know a, a beast in the space of no time is absolutely amazing. And, and we had um, Jordan from Wild Game uh, Salami come into the club and any. Yep. You know, broke broke down a, a deer carcass for us in the in the matter of half an hour. And I was just like, holy cow! And, and like I say, you know, simple simple tools. He just had a macada or whatever it was, and just whoop, 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 away we go. It's just like, Whoa. you know, is that is that yeah, all? Yeah, Jordan's actually. I'm I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be going out for a bit of a culling session with Jordan at some stage. Actually, he uses our knives and um and filming him doing a bit of that stuff because you know I think well, there's always a lot to be learned and and that and. I've spent the last 12 months basically going around the meatworks and going out with customers both in New Zealand and Australia. And, um, you know, recently I went out with Nick from uh, Nick Vukovic. He's a home kill guy and um, and pretty well known in um, Harry Plains. And, mate, the guy, I've, honestly, I've... I've seen some people work, but I've never seen a guy work like, like the the work rate of this man is unbelievable. I mean, from you know, from from cutting a throat, he's got four quarters of a cattle beast in the back of his truck in about nine or ten minutes, mate. It was just <laughs> unreal. And you you keep watching and you're like, well, there's stuff that I've learned and I've applied when I've you know been butchering a deer, a deer or something. But the the skill of these butchers, mate, like. You know, I make the knives they use them. I don't, I don't, I don't say I'm a pro at all. I'm like anyone else. I keep, I'm, I'm learning. I think getting, you know, I'm always getting better. But the only way to get better is to get your hands dirty and put yeah. your hands inside of a, the gut cavity and pull stuff out and, and learn from people. And um, you ain't even going to learn if you ain't getting your hands dirty. So no, there's some bloody talented guys out there. Um, and those home kill guys, mate, their work horses, eh? It's incredible. Yeah, no, there's um. Like I say, you got to get your hands dirty. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a, it's a stag or a hind. There's um, there's bits that you got to get around. <laughs> yeah, they've all got a, they've all got a throat and an arsehole, and you need to remove those two to try and pull it out in one piece. That's that, that's my tip for the day. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a bit like, you know, you'll get to the finish one way or another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how long it takes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, summer hunting, man, the pressure's on. And so you do, you want, you want a good blade so you're not sitting there sharp sharpening. Um, do you have any yep. opinion on steels? Like uh, the, the sort of round metal steel versus a diamond steel and, and does size matter? Again, yeah, again, it's personal preference. Um, some of those sort of oval ones have two different grains on them. So some people like two different grains. So they might start with a, a fine and then get all polished for the finish. Um, generally, so I mean, the rule of thumb I use when I'm talking to people. So if you're in aquaculture fishing, generally I sort of say, you know, you want a, a slightly more coarse steel because of the environment that you're working with, salt and just a bit rougher and, and, and it's better just to, to you know to take take and get that edge going but whereas if you go to the other end of the continuum someone like I don't know Nick home kill guys he's got a polished steel but he's using it all the time so he but he's he can feel a um, a little flaw in the edge as he's skinning out a cattle beast like but but he's at that real pointy end of of not you know he, he has he only uses one knife of ours for the whole dob and he's just got wow. a, a black one and a white one, so he knows which ones he's 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 steeled and, and potted up on the edge for first. So, yeah, again, it's it's personal preference, but that's generally what I say to people. If you're more in the more sort of harsh environments around the sea, it's kind of mediums, and then as you're going up, it's sort of. But for home, fine and super fine are what I think is a, a good way to go with. The only advice I'd have with steel is fucking use it. Yeah. Most people don't, so <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, just use it. And you know, I've had multiple times people go, Oh, you know, even as I named someone sent me a video, Oh, your knife's not cutting a tomato properly. I was like, Has the knife been steeled? Oh, no, it hasn't. Well, there you go. Like, it's really that simple. Like, it's main maintenance, you know, you've got to put air in your tires, you got to steal your knife, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think if anyone wants to sort of go into what what's you know a short range of, of the different knives that I'd, I'd definitely direct them to the that episode you did with matt and you, you know you talked about the guys on on team new zealand using pig stickers i was just like yeah, that's awesome <laughs> yeah 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 exactly yeah no there's all sorts of applications yeah mate so you know we've spoken about it where, where do people find victory knives you know you guys are in a lot of shops you're, you're on instagram there must be yep. websites and you know if, yeah so yeah we've we've got uh on our victorynives.co.nz it's got a pretty a pretty good range of our stuff um, you know, we're, we're generally in, you know, most all good sort of fishing, uh, sort of fishing shops around the country, um, a lot of little hunting stores, and we're starting to get, like, it's awesome to see, you know, guys like Hamels and Taupo, for example, mm. had demand from customers and bought knives in, and it's going well. So it's great. You know, I think back at COVID, um, you know, that little reminder of supporting Kiwis been been good, and I think that's, that's certainly sort of created a bit more interest in people looking a bit more actively. I think pre-COVID, everyone liked the idea of New Zealand made, but I think post-COVID, everyone's supporting that more and, and yeah. actively trying to support that more. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, you know, I try and throw a post up every other day. I'm, I'm doing the marketing on the Instagram. That's me. So, um, yeah, if you're, if you're sending messages back, you are talking to the owner of the company. So, um, you know, it becomes a bit of a 24-hour job at times. But I'm just happy to help people. And I think people should have a good experience when they deal with a brand and they should be answered and um, providing me, you know, not asking dumb questions like how do I get free knives? Um, those ones get ignored, but, you know, there's, um, <laughs> um, but generally, yeah, we try and sort of engage where we can. And, and, I, and I think, you know, it's about learning all the time too. Every single person I'm talking to is a customer and they've got an experience. I'm quite interested to hear about how that works. And, you know, we keep innovating and changing stuff based on what people are telling us. So um, that's really important. Yeah. We'll give another club uh, plug for chasing gary you can get a victory knife with with that stamped on it from them as well can it? absolutely as, as you brought up there uh, hamels topo there they are that's pushing ahead I'm, I'm hell of impressed with with where they're heading and there, there's someone else that's you know um got their face on, on instagram and, and putting the story behind who's in the shop and and what they're up to and yeah they, they need to be commended as well they're doing it's doing a great job not but kind of, maybe Maybe you and I should get invited on their next sort of helicopter flight out of somewhere to wherever they go, just to sort of see see how see how they go in the backcountry. I mean, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I can. <laughs> Three hours to Taupo for me. Yeah, it's just up, just up the bloody hill from here. I, I'm 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 keen on steering the guys in Hawkes Bay Ape. It's the Topol Napier Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good being oh, an outsider. You can poke you can poke fun. Mate, um, I always get people to leave us with the thing that 
doesn't do them wrong. It, it always shows up when things are going right. It, it can be a quote or, or a sort of a, a mentor that you live your life by um, or, or just sort of a, a philosophy that you sort of push on ahead with. Well, I, well I, good you asked that because I actually, yeah, so there's kind of, um, there's sort of two really for me and um, probably the, the second one comes off, uh, you know, you know, in that mental health space, I lost a couple of good mates over the years and have set up a mental health charity and we haven't sort of gone down that track and we've spoken, I've spoken about it before, but the first one is, um, my number one is if it ain't fun, don't do it. Um, I think it's an easy way to make decisions, you know, uh, look for fun, look for things that are fun. And the second one really, and I think this is probably more pertinent to sort of since losing friends and as you get older, is never turn down a good opportunity. So you're never going to get the day back. So, you know, if something I could have done today, I'm never going to be able to do that again because it was yesterday. So, um, yeah, so if it ain't fun, don't do it. And um, and don't turn, never turn down a good opportunity. and Make make an effort to use those opportunities if it's going for a hunt or if it's going for a bike ride or whatever it might be. Um, make the effort to do it because, you know, like you know this ain't a dress rehearsal fill, fill, it, fill it up as much as you can because one day you'll um it'll all be done and, and and that's just the way i try and sort of sort of live and i think if you if you can do that then you'll probably have more experiences and you'll probably have a smile on your face more often than not and i think that's probably the most important thing yeah mate i wrote down yesterday um i did this thing called future gratitude and it's like imagining yourself in 10 or 20 years or on your deathbed or whatever and, and that was the thing you know grateful for Form a story, so yeah, you know, start writing your story. That's bloody good. What's what is the the charity that mate? Because you know, we've got time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got time. So yeah, uh, Wood for the Trees is what it is. So set it up. Lost a good mate uh, three years ago. Now we had our committee meeting yesterday. So yeah, three years ago now. Unfortunately, I was one of the first on the scene, um, and you know, had to go through telling his parents and 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 knew the knew what he'd been through, and and just you know, kind of felt powerless to help, you know, to to you know, all the things I could have done, and you know, you thought, what if and etc. Um, after it all happened, I just was at a at a, a conference thing, and then there was a guy talking, and and um, and had the whole uh, whole aha moment of you know, shit, um. I want to do something about this and it's going to be called wood for the trees and that sort of all came to me and wood for the trees is a kind of a good statement that covers mental health you know it's people that aren't uh, that, that are sweating over the small things without seeing the bigger picture mm-hmm. um and yeah we set that up and we've raised you know quite a bit of money over the years and given a lot to like mike king's i am hope and we've done um you know funded stuff around jazz thornton and some and a movie that she's made and and other various helps and platforms that we're just trying to our messages look out for your nearest and dearest so it's not about the person that is having um it's about the person that's having the battle but it's about you as the as that peer group in that network to try and proactively do something about it. and i think you know that's you know the rising tide discussion so pertinent there too because you have so many organizations this discussions so up there now and so talked about and you know, if you and I were having this chat 10 years ago, we wouldn't have talked about mental health and it would have been a bit of a, you know, something in the closet that no one wants to talk about. Whereas now, you know, generally guys, you know, which are probably, you know, women are better at chatting about their feelings than guys and guys are starting to do it. And um, and I actually, I just, I actually think hunting and, and around the campfire while you're drinking a beer or, you know, putting on the, the boiki and having a feed is, is really... Um, is really important to you know you have those discussions when you're away from your normal day to day and um, you know we you know just the cool chats that I think I have with friends when I'm literally sitting on the side of a mountain are stuff that would never happen in a bar environment or a cafe environment or something like that so yeah so charities are hard and slow low and slow burn it's you got to try and keep the energy in it um, we're sort of looking at adding a, a, a bit of new blood into it which with different experience we've got a few other little initiatives on the go so yeah it's just good to try and give something back to to what is an issue in New Zealand and, you know, be part of the many that are trying to, I guess, fly the flag and, and make it okay to talk about not being okay and, and, and having that discussion. So, yeah. Powerful, mate. Ironically, I'm sitting in a closet, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like your setup, I've got to say. It's, uh, it's, it was a, it was it sounds a, coming through perfectly. Yeah, it's not, it's not quite Jay's little stand-up booth, but um, it's, doing, it's doing the trick. <laughs> awesome, mate. I love it. Awesome, Gareth. I, I better go do my day job, um, and I suppose you should yeah, too. Yeah, no worries, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, I need to get the smelly Liverpool top on and put my bloody glad rags on and try and get into some nice stuff. So, hey, no, it's really awesome talking to you, Ryan. I reckon your podcast is great and all the stuff you have, all the people you have on it's super interesting, mate. So keep up the good work and... Um, yeah, I look forward to, um, you know, going on a hunt with you at some stage. I think we've got to get that done. 
Absolutely, mate. Maybe we'll uh, do one ourselves and then go hang out with Justin and see if we're ready. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A few precursors. <laughs> Sweet, mate. I've got to end it there. How simple and effective is, it, is that? If it's don't, if it's what? It don't fun, don't do it. That's easy. And I love this second one, especially. Never turn down an awesome opportunity. This last weekend, I've just embellished one of those made a real real good value out of the weekend uh, finished work on saturday afternoon jumped in the car drove over the uh the uh the saddle through the room because i don't know why they're worrying about the gorge that saddle road's bloody fantastic um and you went down to the company coast down to waikanae caught up with uh justin amor that we that we spoke about there recorded that podcast so that'll be out in the next few days um yeah, spent the night on, on his boat there and, and had a dip in the Mana uh, Marina. It's probably not the most hygienic place to have a dip, but um, it was definitely cool enough. Got got the old Wim Hof breath going. And then following that, had an awesome conversation with, with Fitzy from Warfighter Athletic. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, just on this conversation with Gareth, Gareth what a champ and um, what a really, really awesome dude. Be sure to check out that charity, Wood for the Trees. Um, you know, it's all very well us talking about um, mental health, and that's the first step, but doing is is really where, where the rubber hits the road. And, you know, he's friends with some some high-profile people, Jay, Jay Reeve in particular and, and um, John O'Prior, and, and um, yeah, the, the sharing a message and, and activating a movement, which is... Yeah, what it's it's the small things that need done, and and we've got a massive task ahead of us when it comes to mental health. Uh, mental health, gee whiz, it's been a big weekend. Mental health and turning the ship around, but those few little steps, those little opportunities, um, that those places that you can actually go and, and get shit done, like yeah, that's that's powerful, and and I'm stoked that there's people like Gareth out there that just use their platform, use what they've got to. For the betterment of others and, and I absolutely love it so yeah be sure to, to reach out to Gareth and to that charity Wood for the Trees the links will be in the show notes check it out um, and yeah tell them I sent you <laughs> love that that's, that's Lee Hardesk love that chat um, of course the podcast is brought to you by Waikito w-a-i-k-e-t-0.p-r-u-v-i-t-n-o-w.com in the show notes as always exogenous ketones Get you into ketosis in under half an hour. Also, the Keto Reboot, the 60-hour assistive fast. Hell of a good tool. And, um, yeah, maximize your life, I guess. Yeah, ketosis. Read about it. <laughs> so stoked to bring you episode 150. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this. And looking forward to 150 more. Let's go to 300. Or oh, there's um, goodbye, pork pie. Says, let's take this all the way to Bluff, to Invercargill. That's where I'm from. Nice. Hope you have a great week. As I said, I'll bring you that other episode later in the week, so keep an eye out. And yeah, hit me up. Slide into the DMs. <laughs> have a good one.